Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Before we get into the podcast today, I wanted to share a great show from my colleagues at the Winnipeg Foundation. It's called Because Radio, and it's been running for over five years at 93.7 CJNU Radio in Winnipeg. It's an incredible show that focuses on the great stuff happening in Winnipeg and some real impact makers in the philanthropic sector, and, and really so much more. You can visit becauseradio.org to hear their latest episodes. That's becauseradio.org. Now, our guest today is Jessica Miller. Jessica was made for her new role. She's the new CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society, and she could not be better suited to take the helm of this incredible organization. As a longtime volunteer at the WHS, Jessica knows the organization from the ground up and knows what it takes to continue and approve upon their wonderful work. And we all have really important causes. If we didn't all do what we did, the world would look very different. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that other charities are, are also deserving. And if we work together and like, of course, we're competition to a point, but what we do is a trade and a specialty. And so, you know, as a group, we will again move forward together. I sat down with Jessica Miller incoming CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society to talk about her path up until this point, where her love of animals originated, and what the organization is working towards in 2021. Jessica Miller, welcome to the Because and Effect podcast. Happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Nolan. Incoming CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Uh, congratulations on your appointment. I mean, I mean, you don't, you don't, start until I think next week, but congratulations anyway. Thank you very um, much. What has the last month been like since you found out about this position? And, you know, how have you, how has your life been just sort of, I imagine it's a whirlwind of congratulations and interviews and stuff, but what, what, how have you been doing? Yeah, um, it, it feels crazy. It feels crazy to basically have a dream come true. Um, it feels terrifying to, you know, leave a job that I loved to do something that I also loved. Um, the whole house has been filled with flowers. Also, I've heard there's flowers coming to the Humane Society. Um, I mean, it really doesn't get any better than that, just having all of the support from the community. Some people I know, some people I don't, um, which is, I mean, all I could even ask at this point. So, yeah, I'm really excited. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, hiring within is a is a really, it's a good Winnipeg story, right? Like you've been with the Humane Society for how long exactly on their board and stuff? How long have you been sort of helping out with that organization? Yeah, so I would say, um, I would say maybe 13 years in total, um, <clears throat> beginning kind of as a third party event planner um, in the non-for-profit world. That basically means an outsider planning an event and giving you the money for it because um, as you likely know, and everyone who works in philanthropy knows, we don't have huge staffing departments to plan events. So we um, you know, really hope that people in the community will do that for us. And so I had done that for them. Um, and then it kind of turned into, well, do you want to be an assistant? And I said, well, yes. And then do you want to be on staff? And so I started working there um, I think my official title was Event Marketing and Sponsorship Specialist um, years and years ago, left, came back as a board member, uh, which I've been for about two years. And then I had to retire from the board member position to apply for the job. And so now I'm going to be incoming CEO next week, and then I'll start my uh, my new journey there. Very exciting. We've had um, your predecessor 
or are you his predecessor, Javier um, Schwarzenski on the the podcast? And he was just a great man too. I mean, it's such a cool job to have. What are you most looking forward to in this new role? Like that you are going to get to experience that you didn't as just a board member. Yeah. So I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but what I'm excited to do is actually have the voice I need to have to move things forward, you know, um, growing up through the organization and other careers that I've had, um, working in communications and operations, you know, you, you partake in the overall mission and vision, but you don't get to like have it. And the fact that my mission and vision, along with our board of directors and our staff and everything is something that I actually have the power to move forward. And I've been visioning these things ever since I was a little girl. So to actually be like, okay, let's do this. That's what I'm most excited about. So what's first on the list? If you could, you, you know, your to-do list, once you get in there next week, what's, what are you, what's the first thing you're going to kind of get to well, obviously get to know everyone that you don't know perhaps, but maybe big picture, talk about what's something that's on your list of things to do that maybe the humane society hasn't yet got to, or what, what, what's, what, what are you passionate about really digging your teeth into? Yeah, so there's a like there's a fun answer and a not so fun answer to that question. So, you know, as an operator, um, you need to be real about like the things that you have to do to get by and, you know, put some of the I want to do or, you know, big picture, this would be amazing if we could do this. And so first order of business um, for me is, yes, of course, to meet everyone. I want to know, I want to know all of the staff, who they are, why they do the job, um, you know, strengths and weaknesses in their eyes, um, because they're the specialists. Um, I want to get to know all of our partners because we have so many. And when I was interviewing for the position, I, I continue to tell the hiring committee, I think this is about, it's a bigger than the building concept that we have lots of different rescues we work with, um, lots of different partners, animal services, like just to name a few. And we can't do what we do without these people. You know, the building's only so big, there's 10,000 animals a year that we're dealing with just ourselves, never mind everything that our partners are doing, you know, externally of us. And so I want to meet all of them and learn how we work together and what they want to do moving forward, because maybe we can do those things. You know, sometimes when you're in the position and you're just kind of like going through the motions, you don't, you're not able to kind of really see, okay, well, what's next? How can we grow? And so as an outsider, I hope that I can bring that to the table by offering these people a voice. Um, And then the next step is is to figure out this COVID-19 thing, right? Um, You know, I've said this in another interview, but donor fatigue and compassion fatigue is very real. And we've been asking, I mean, all of the charities have, they've been asking since March when COVID kind of hit Winnipeg, you know, help us, help us get through this. Um, We still need to operate, although we're in a world wide pandemic and so i really want to look at what the effects of that have been on the society and do we need to cost recover things are we still going to make the amount of money that we need to to keep the doors open to keep the animals safe uh, and kind of like re-budget that to make sure that we're safe long term and i don't want to do that i mean that's not something that is on my list like oh that's so fun but it's the reality of how we're living and so I'm going to do that to be true to myself and really know what I'm working with. Yeah. Um, and then from there, there's the good stuff that I want to do just because. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's such an unprecedented time. Like, 
what was the process like of going through the application for the job and everything? I'm assuming a lot of Zoom meetings like we're doing right now, but like how did COVID affect the last you know month of operations and how do you think it's going to affect uh, the Humane Society's operations moving forward? Yeah, the interview process was was odd. It was very, very long. Um, Javier, I believe, left uh, end of September, beginning of October. Um, I didn't find out that I was hired for this position until almost the new year. And so it was many, many interviews um, with an outside recruiting for, um, firm, uh, then panel interviews and then panel presentations. And as weird as it was, because, you know, you can only see a bobbling head on the other side. You can't see if they're like, into what you're saying and like really understanding what the feedback is. Uh, the benefit of it for me was I think it would have been really intimidating walking in, you know, eight times to talk to groups of people and presenting in person, you know, for such a high level position. So I think I benefited in fact that, you know, I was in my own home, I was comfortable. Um, and so, yeah, it was a weird process to go through, but I learned so much. And I mean, had I not um, been offered the position, I would have really saw it as a learning opportunity. Um, moving forward with COVID, you probably know this from many of the different charities you talk to, but events are a really, really important way of fundraising. <clears throat> you know, not everyone has tons and tons of cash to be giving, you know, major gifts or even at an intermediate giving level. And so events are a great way for just, you know, anyone to support the organization. And, and should they not have a ton of money, they can participate, uh, which is just as important. And so how are we going to do that now? We're, we're not, you know, we're not in person. When will we be and to what capacity um, does that look? We still don't know. And so we're, uh, the Humane Society has done such an amazing job in kind of pivoting through this time and, and you know, offering programming virtually, off offering their education program virtually. They did a treasure box um, that came to your house full of local goodies instead of the bow wow ball. So they are mm -hmm. being innovative and trying to do things to move forward. Um, the ROI isn't exactly the same. And of course, every time you do something new, you know, the expenses of what that's gonna cost you and then the net income is again new. And I experienced that at St. B as well. So it, you go through a pivoting phase and a learning phase at the same time. And you just have to hope for the best that the net income is enough to get you by. Yeah, there's so many organizations that we've spoken with that are, you know, it's stretched, they're stressed, they're stressed out. And it's, it's kind of a crazy time. Nobody really knows where it's going to shake out, which is kind of the crazy part of it, right? Like, and this has got to be doubly stressful for you taking a whole new position in this sort of uncertain time but um it is a strong team there and obviously the humane society is such a staple in our city that i think you guys are gonna you know find your way through it but what what are your main concerns moving forward when it comes to stepping into this new position and what are you what are you seeing as potential pain points when it comes to you know your job for the next six months to a year yeah, so I think um, we're going to be working on a new strategic plan. So we really need to outline like what does the future look for us? You know, will will it be a three year, a five year plan? I don't know. Um, so I think that that's going to be something that I'm going to have to go through, but go through in more of a unique way with keeping COVID in mind. And so, you know, it's not just this equals that anymore because yeah. you kind of have to transition with this unknown future um, and uh, think of 
the best way to grow and the best way to take care of our animals and the best way to involve our partners. So going through that strategic plan, I think will be interesting, but tough at the same time, because you don't just get to do whatever you want, right? You have to deal with the the current environment. Um, Also, I think, you know, I'm a huge empath and I've loved animals my whole life. And there's these little parts of me that think like, this is going to be hard, you know, this job is going to be emotional. And, um, you know, we're going to see some cruelty that occurs, we're going to see animals that are injured. And that hurts my heart to know that that's, that that's what's going to happen, it's going to be a part of the job. And the try the way that I try to move past the fear of that is just knowing, well, you can turn your head and do nothing, or you can try to do something. And you know, the some things just have to be good enough until we can get like the sum of everything and have a whole big picture of this is why we do what we do. Yeah. Be, being the solution. Someone has to solve these problems and they're, and they're very, you know, emotionally devastating at times, but for sure. Uh, I worked with your sister for years at, in the restaurant industry back in the day, and she is possibly one of the biggest dog lovers I've ever met. Uh, yeah. Are you up there with her? Who loves who loves more? And has it always been this way for you? Have you always been like a rabid animal lover? Yeah, we have. We grew up with a mother who was just, she loved animals and she really had always brought them into our lives. And she always tell, like, she tells the story over and over again. Like I used to be the little girl who, you know, after it rains and the worms get swept out onto the driveway and the sidewalk, I used to walk and pick them up and put them back in the grass so no one would squish them because I just couldn't bear the fact to know that this living thing, um, you know, could be harmed, you know, and it had nothing to do with it. It just happened to rain. And so, yeah, I kind of started like that. And we had lots of animals growing up, all kinds of animals. And um, actually my sister's foster dog, sorry, let me go back. My foster dog that I had when I was working at Humane Society years and years ago, ended up being a foster fail, which means that you keep it because you loved it so much. And that foster fail is now my sister's dog. Is that Sydney or is that a different Sydney. dog? Okay, That's yeah, Sydney. Cool. Yeah. So awesome. she what, she's about 13 years old. And when I was working at the Humane Society back in the day, um, she was in the back and she was screaming, just this little teeny voice. And I went to um, the foster department. I said, was she, is she looking for a foster? She's so little. And they said, yeah, she is. And so I took her home and she was so tiny that I would put her in my house coat pocket. And I would get ready in the morning with her in there because if I put her on the ground, she would cry like that because she was just, she had no mom. She was only four weeks old and my sister ended up adopting her. And so it's just kind of in our blood. We love it. I would say that we love it the same. I can be extreme. Like I walk through the forest and I see all the deer and I love them. I'm obsessed with them and I call them the forest angels, (laughs) but she gets it. So I would say um, it runs in the family. Well, it's, this seems like a perfect f- spot for you, right? Like I, I know you a little bit personally and, and you've always been about, you know, strengthening relationships and making sure that that part of the, the organizations that you work for are strong. So what, what's your strategy going to be moving forward? You kind of already touched on this a little bit in, in all the partners that you guys have, but like, how are you going to focus on relationship, the relationship side of things with the different organizations that the WHS is uh, partnered with? Yeah, relationships are everything, and they've gotten me everywhere in my life. 
I have never been the type of like, well, I'm going to do this by myself and show everyone what a good job I did. I, I'm a big believer in the power of partnership and um, <clears throat> kind of the I see you, I hear you mentality. Because if you think that you know everything, that's when you're when you're going to find out you're wrong. There's people who have experienced all kinds of different um you know, animal issues. They've been in, involved in different advocacy events. The staff who'd worked there for so many years, they've seen what comes in and what comes out and what works and what doesn't. And so I really want to listen to the staff um, and to the community to see like, what, how do you feel about this? Where do you want to see us grow? Um, because I don't think that I have all the answers. I, I have worked in my career to be qualified enough to be given this position. But I think that I would need the help from our partners to kind of grow. Um, the board of directors also, they're a, they're, it's a stacked board of directors from um, companies from all over the place. You know, there's lawyers, there's uh, HR people, there's other CEOs, there's people in healthcare. And so to have that kind of wide breadth of knowledge behind me that helps guide the decisions that I make and mentor me as a person so I can have the greatest bird's eye view is what I think is going to give me success. Yeah. Humble. It sounds like you have humble leadership. You know, there's a, there's a humility there that, that is, I think a really nice breath of fresh air because a lot of times, you know, the, the stereotypical sort of top down approaches, I know what to do, listen to me and this is how it works. But when you actually, you know, have a ground up approach and talk to the people who are, at the ground level, doing the work and and have sort of the expertise. I think that's a really great approach that that you seem to be wanting to take. Yeah, I think that it also comes from being the person on the ground. You know, like I was that person. I schlepped the signage around at Pause in Motion back in the day. I've written the press releases. I've written the speaking notes for the CEOs. Um, and so I really have done all of these things. And I feel like the perspective from the people who do them is just so important because they have the clearest view when you're at the top there's so many you know major things that you need to deal with kind of at a high level that you need to trust the people who are you know in the, i don't want to call it in the weeds but yeah on the ground level dealing with these things they know best and i want i'm really hoping that they can guide me for sure it's it's a it's a great story like hometown girl makes it big right you're the ceo <laughs> yeah. now so being so long in in the philanthropic sector and working in these worlds, what are what are some trends that you're seeing? Maybe pre-COVID, or you could you could kind of include that in in your answer if you want. But what are some trends that you see working in this sector, getting to know sort of a lot of the people, I assume, and and, and sort of making those connections? What do you think it's like working in Winnipeg in the philanthropic sector? Yeah, it's such a specialty. Um, I find that we're all kind of, we're the same group of people. We run into people, we run into each other at seminars, um, you know, at association of fundraising professional events, um, you know, different communications events. We, we kind of all know each other. And at least when I was at St. B, um, we really worked together. Like, as you could see, we had a lottery that was joint with HSC and children's, you know, and so we would run the lottery together and share the proceeds of that. And so I feel like we really help each other. Um, and that's always was something that was important to me when we planned at CP, we planned, um, it was Manitoba's first virtual gala dinner through COVID-19. And I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it was the first one. 
And I thought, okay, well, go big or go home. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. It went fabulously. And from there, I presented the event um, at the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce and through an AFP um, session. And I told everyone uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, what worked, what didn't, what was so hard, what I wouldn't do again, what I would do again. And I think that's, that's what helps us all grow because, you know, we all have really important causes. If we didn't all do what we did, the world would look very different. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that other charities are, are also deserving. And if we work together and like, of course, we're competition to a point, but what we do is a trade and a specialty. And so, you know, as a group, we will, again, move forward together. Mm -hmm. um, some of the trending that I was finding before COVID was things were um, getting more digital, you know, marketing instead of just, you know, print and, and billboards, it was becoming digital. So social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, um, plant, doing registration online, doing fundraising online, that was starting to kind of come to the surface and I was navigating through that myself um, being at St. B you know um, we had a very kind of like formal traditional style of marketing and then as digital grew I had to grow with it and learn all of those things and I think that was a driving factor um, again in me being appointed to this new position is that I know how to do that I've lived through that um, Humane Society has a ton of people who also know how to do that, but together, it's, I think it's going to be next level because it, it takes a long time to kind of transition through that growth period. Well, when you mentioned a three or five year plan moving forward, that boggles my mind because so much can change within one year, right? So if you're planning for three years, you know, so what are you seeing as some of the biggest hurdles, maybe not necessarily technologically, but just with how the world is constantly changing and you have to constantly be pivoting. I mean, how many times have you heard the word pivot in the last year? Oh, you know, I know. Year? It's such a buzzword. Yeah, I even exactly. feel bad when I say it because it's like, <laughs> ugh, at this point, we don't want to pivot. We just yeah. want to do our thing, right? Um, yeah. yeah, I guess. We're, we're in a constant state of pivoting, right? So like how, what are, what philosophies are you bringing to the table knowing that in this new world, there is no, there almost is no stable definition of normal because you're constantly having to stay on top of everything right so how, how are you approaching that knowing that you know yeah you can make a three-year plan but something happens and then you got to just throw everything out the window and, and start from scratch I'm completely comfortable with that and I think that it um, it comes from growing up in communications communications is a very fluid type of environment to work in you know incidents happen your media is occurring around the clock. And so I've, I'm kind of trained to be like, okay, that's not working anymore. Let's move on. Um, nothing's set in stone for me and I don't need it to be. It's not really how I don't, I'm not a, this equals that person. I'm like, okay, what's in front of me right now and how are we going to deal with it? And if that changes in two weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to change it again. Mm -hmm. And so I'm comfortable with operating that way, which I think is going to be a huge benefit to me at this time during mm -hmm. COVID. And if my plan is not relevant in a year or two from, from now, I'm, I'm going to rip it up and I'm going to move on and I'm going to explain to everyone why. Um, so yeah, I think that just knowing that whatever I say we're going to do and whatever we agree on as a group is what we agree on right now because it works right now. Yeah. And in the future, 
you know, we'll move on from there if we have to. Yeah, you don't have to be married to the, you know, a lot of time people get so stuck in there. If my idea doesn't work, then it can't be anything else. So yeah, having that fluidity and that, uh, I mean, humility again is I think very important. Um, you mentioned sort of the strength of the board at the WHS and all these different, different areas that are covered. Um, sort of coming up through the board, did you have any mentors or, or people that really helped guide you in your, in your career? I have. I've had a lot. Yeah, I've been very lucky. So <clears throat> one of the people who kind of has guided me for a long time, her name's Maureen Drummond. She's the head of HR for Life Touch Canada. Um, she was actually a committee member way back in the day when I was running the events at Humane Society and I was running the committee that she was on. So she kind of grew in a similar way to, to me is she stayed with the Humane Society that whole time on committees and then ended up being on the board and then went through the whole board cycle and then was the chair of the board. And whenever she discusses um, kind of the relationship she's had with the Humane Society, she says that she has learned so much and grown so much from having that position. And so she kind of gave me the confidence to um, consider applying for the job and has always kind of had my back in that way. Um, our, our current chair, Jonas Watson, he's a Dr. Jonas Watson, he's a vet and, um, he's the new chair and has been having weekly meetings with me already to kind of onboard me, which is great. So it's not a big smack in the face as soon mm -hmm. as you walk in the door. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, he's been a mentor. One of our new, um, one of our new board members, he started in September. His name's Ben Graham. He's the CEO of Manitoba Blue Cross. He's going to be working with me and helping me with the strategic plan. And I, I told my husband the other day that I had talked to Ben about that. I'm like, I have the CEO of Blue Cross that's going to help me figure this out. That's, I mean, so exciting to have yeah. these kind of mentors and know that I have these people standing beside me wanting me to be as successful as I want to be, you know, for the love of our animals. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've had, I've had mentors. Um, one of my mentors at St. B, um, which is interesting, she's now the CEO of the Misericordia Health Foundation. Her name's Chris Gladwell. She gave me everything while I was at St. B. You know, I started as a manager and then to a director and then to a VP. She always kind of gave me a seat at the table, um, even when I was kind of still learning and, and observing. And we're the exact same age. We're both young women, which you don't see every day in leadership in leadership positions. And, uh, but she never blinked an eye. She gave me the same opportunities that she had. And uh, when she left St. B as a VP and took her CEO role, um, I was so proud and we're still friends to this day. So I've Very been cool. lucky. That's awesome. Are you conscious now that you are going to be in a position to sort of be a mentor to others and, and be able to kind of guide and lead and, and give opportunities to others as well? Have you thought about that at all? Uh, yeah, I've thought about it's always kind of been on my radar um, because I was a creative communication student. And so I often have had the instructors come to me in different roles and ask if I would take a student on an internship. And I've always said yes, because I was also granted that opportunity. Um, back in the day, I when I was doing my internships, I worked in media relations with the Winnipeg Police Service, um, which mm. was such an amazing uh, opportunity to get. 
Um, and the person who took me on at that point, I still talk to to this day. Cool. Um, also, I worked with the Children's Hospital Foundation under a- Amber Salem, who was then in communications, who's now the producer for Ace Berkeley Show. Mm-hmm. So it, it all comes first full circle, right? And so I was to take another student uh, just at the uh, start of COVID. And one of the instructors said, you know, oh, it's COVID. Do you still want to take them? I said, oh, yeah, I'm still taking them because... I just can't turn someone away. I, I envision it being myself trying to get an opportunity in a pandemic and being young and working so hard in school and then not getting the opportunity. So I took her on. She was amazing. Um, I ended up being a reference for her for a position that she now works in. And so I'm super proud to be a part of that process. And um I will continue to do that at Humane Society. Um, I would love, I mean. We are very volunteer run. We have 800 volunteers. We couldn't even imagine to run without them. And so if there's people who want to work, you know, with me or in communications or in, in the office somehow and kind of learn how we do it (laughs) done, I'll take it. Yeah. That's so Winnipeg. Hey, it's just, everyone eventually knows everybody else and everybody kind of knows the players and stuff. Do you think that makes you uniquely qualified to, to be in this position now that you've sort of been in Winnipeg for so long and you just know everyone and everybody (laughs) is starting to know you as well? It is. And I think that's one of the exciting parts of, you know, starting for me is I want to call everyone. I want to start calling everyone that I've worked with over the years, partners that I know I can have, people that I know have deep roots with the Humane Society, or maybe they just do with animals in general and they don't know where to start. You know, as as you know, you know, we look for sponsorships. We want to look for naming rights. We want to grow Um, all of our different programs and sometimes people just don't know what the opportunities are until you tell them and I think I've established enough relationships that people will take my call and and know that uh, I'm not going to be pushy Um, uh, I'm actually a pretty blunt person I'll tell you what the opportunity is and I'll say if you don't want to do it just don't you know Um, because I don't want people to not want to answer my call um, so for everyone who's listening, if I call you, you can answer, I won't pressure you, but you know, I'll, I'll sell you a good, <laughs> an opportunity if there is one. For sure. But I mean, that's uniquely Winnipeg too. It's like, Hey, I'm not going to waste your time. Here's what we got. Yes or no. Otherwise we're, we're still going to be friends at the end of the day. You know, we're still going to be, have the relationship. What are you most looking forward to next week when you start this role? What are you number one on the list? Oh, I just want to get back into the building. I want to mm. be in the building. I want to, you know, feel my feet on the ground there, see the animals in there. That's how I get my motivation is I see the animals, I play with the animals, I walk through there. Even back in the day when I needed a break and everything was overwhelming and I wasn't, you know, getting the sponsors that I wanted to or just, you know, wasn't reaching my budget, I would go and walk through and I would look at all these little sweet faces and I go, okay, that's why I do this. And so I want to be in that position again to feel that. Um, I want to with the leaders who have been taking the spot since Javier left. We have two acting uh, CEOs currently who have been amazing doing multiple positions. I want to be in there with them and kind of like see what they've been going through. Um, I want to hear from their mouths what they think the role will be like and just have some personal time with them to get to know the people that we're going to work very, very close with. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of yeah, what I'm looking forward to. What could be more therapeutic than going to play with puppies and kittens Nothing. and animals? Right? Nothing. Like that's, that's magical. <laughs> I always say, like my saying, 
Um, you know, you just can't pay for that kind of therapy. Mm-hmm. It's something that just comes from within. I think it's a release of, you know, serotonin and like, you know, the chemicals in your body that just relieve stress and have your shoulders come down mm-hmm. and just the innocence and the sweetness that comes from being with animals. It's just, I don't know, it's an overwhelming feeling of just serenity to me. My uh, partner pretty much twice a day sends me either links from Manitoba Mutt Rescue or the Humane Society being like, can we, can we adopt this one? Can we adopt this? And I'm like, we, we can't even have a dog in our house, but we will soon. And she is just a maniac for dogs. And I, I've got one in my future, which is exciting, but uh, I like her. She's awesome. She's the best. (laughs) Well, Jess, at the end of our time together, we do a segment called just because where I ask the same seven questions of everyone. It's mostly about the causes you care about and the effect that it's had on your life so far. Are you okay to do that? Yep. All right. Question one is what is the very first cause? I mean, it might be the worms on the, on the front lawn there, but what's the first cause you actually ever remember caring about? Yeah, I remember very clearly at age 11, when I first became a vegetarian, uh, it was a PETA, it was PETA. So uh, my friend's older sister had a PETA magazine uh, laying around the house and I picked it up and I started looking about all of like reading everything about the animal advocacy. And um, that was the day that I, that I really cared about animals and not just dogs and cats, about all animals. And I have lived true to that ever since. That's an interesting thing because a lot of times people say like, oh, I love, I love animals. I love animals. And then cats and dogs and then, but not snakes or not lizards or not, you know, whatever the, the thing might be. And I kind of find that that's not really logically consistent. You know, it's either all or none, right? Yeah. Because it's about, it's about living things. It's about having an appreciation for all living things and being able to live amongst them and being happy that they exist and wanting them to be safe and, yeah, I, it is not just about cats and dogs to me. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, you know, one part and I love my dog and I've had cats, but yeah, it's, it's everything. Yeah. Beautifully said. So question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue for you at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. What's the first thing you would do in support of uh, your cause? I would go up North and I would do a major, major spay and neuter clinic. Um, And I would go over and over and over again until we could spay and neuter as many animals as possible. And I would go through all of the cycles so we could really get a handle on population control because there is a bottleneck of animals that are coming down into Winnipeg. Um, There's lots of reasons to do it. Um, I could talk for a long time about it, but it's really important to make sure that all animals are safe, no matter where they are rurally in Winnipeg. Um, And if you're not controlling the population of them, there's going to be too many and there's going to be too many issues to deal with. So uh, if I had all the money in the world, I would take it and I would go right up there and try to deal with that issue. I didn't know that it was that much of a situation up there. Is there something that the average person really doesn't know as far as the bottleneck is concerned? Yeah, well, um, because it's a remote community and, um, you know, there we have to actually go and do remote Mm. vetting clinics. Um, so just to even get vetting services is difficult, never mind actually controlling the population. Like there's not, fen- it's not like it is in Winnipeg with fences, like animals mm-hmm. are running wild. Um, they reproduce when there's too many animals that are reproducing. Um, they're fighting over food that can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. It can be dangerous for kids walking about. Um, and there's no one to actually care for them. They can be hit by cars. And so it, 
there's so many things that go on and that could be a whole new podcast, but I really like to see us kind of, um, bite that, (laughs) I don't, uh, pardon the pun here, but like bite that issue in the butt Mm -hmm. to make sure that we're not having way too many animals produced and them coming through all of our rescues and including the Humane Society. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. I hadn't thought, I've heard of, you know, people getting rescue, pet rescues from the North and stuff, but I never really knew of the intricacies of the problem. I might have to do some Googling tonight and just learn a little bit more. Uh, question three is what's the biggest stigma about the cause, about your current cause? Okay, so two come to mind. Um, one is that I think people think we're government funded, mm. um, you know, but we're not. We're funded by donations. I mean, we obviously get money from different foundations and from grants, and we have a partnership with the city on spay and neuter, and there's some money that comes back to us for helping um, the population control in Winnipeg, which is also an issue. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, like, just for an example, there's a lot of cat Uh, feral cat colonies Mm. um, all throughout Winnipeg where they're reproducing and reproducing and their lifespan is very, very short, you know, living outside, uncared for, unfed, etc. And so um, the operating budget currently is about 6.5 million and much, much, much of that is from donor funds. And that money is spent every single year, like almost right into the red. And so it just takes that much money for us to do what we do and we don't just get it like we have to ask for it and so i want people to know that we're not government funded that we do need your donations and that we are going to apply for grants and go to other foundations for help um <clears throat> excuse me the second part is i've heard people say to me over time that it's hard to adopt an animal from the humane society and so they go elsewhere mm. Um, and I will talk about that in the sense that, yes, it's, it's not going to be easy. We need to talk to you, find out about your lifestyle. Do you have a fence? What kind of home do you live in? Like, we need to know that the animal is being set up for success in the environment and that we've asked you all the right questions to know that you're the right person for this animal. So they don't come back to us. It's about keeping animals out of the building and in a great place and with the right person. Um, And every animal has different needs. You know, some of them have behavior issues. Some of them have diet issues. And so, yeah, you'll have to go through a process to make sure that this is the right match and that's part of our job. And so I'd like to ask people to respect the process because we're doing it for you and for the animals. So you don't end up being in a sticky situation after you adopt. Yeah, my my initial response to that is it shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't just be you walk in, yeah, I'll take that one, put it in a box, and I'll take it home. Like, yeah, I when wanna... we know nothing about the person, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's well, but I guess that's <laughs> going to be part of your job is just educating people. On, it is. Yeah, on it is. Like that. You sure. know, sometimes people just want to know why. You know. And that's fair. And yeah, I'm happy to tell you why any day of the week because you will have more success that way. I promise. Yeah. Well said. Uh, question four, when's it, going back to the pivot question, when's the time in your life where you had to pivot because plan A didn't work out, so you had to go to plan B? Oh, yeah. I mean, so so many times. Um, yeah, I would say it mostly occurs with events. You know, you, you want an event to occur a certain way, but then there's uh, restrictions or the weather doesn't work out or you can't get the amount of sponsors that you want to have the net income of the event be worthwhile. I'm really finding that with events, like, and I call it cost to raise a dollar and all of my philanthropy people will know what that means is like, it costs money to put on an event 
Um, but what is the cost to raise a dollar? If it's too high, then maybe it's not the right event or maybe it's not worth it. Maybe we need to put our money elsewhere. Mm. And so I'm finding that some of the events um, that have been occurring, you know, in the past while, like they could use improvement and whether that's just upping the sponsorship dollars so the net income is more or cutting some of the expenses or just being smarter about things that we're doing. Um, I really want to continue to navigate that and investigate that. So the work that we do is uh, of the highest quality and we spend the least amount of time trying to do the really big things that matter. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty common misconception or misunderstanding in the philanthropic sector is that it costs money to still raise money. And people don't understand that a lot of times that, oh, if I donate a dollar, I want 100% of that dollar going towards whatever the cause is. But there are, there's people that need to, you know, take that <laughs> and and make things happen, right? So it's kind of yeah, a Yeah, and I want balance. that too. I mean, like yeah. that would be the best case scenario is that you're getting 100% back. But but you don't. And in order to be transparent and accountable, you have to keep these costs to raise a dollar really low, but mm -hmm. we're still giving someone value, like that they want to be involved or that, um, you know, it was worth it. Or if they wanted to do it for entertainment rather than just solely philanthropy, that they had fun and they want to come back. Um, so finding the balance between making sure they get that and not spending too much money is really important. Yep, exactly. Uh, question five, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? <laughs> oh, there's so there's so much advice that I take um, take to heart. Have you ever have you heard of the author? Her name's Glennon Dole. I don't know if I have. Yeah, she's her mo her most recent book that she wrote. It's called Untamed. Um, right. I'm obsessed with it. I love her. I'm Glenn reading it. Oh, again. Yeah. yeah, I'm reading it again for the second time. Um, but she says a couple things. And one of them is, is you can do hard things. And so I find myself often telling that to myself and telling that to my daughter, like if she doesn't want to go to school for some reason, because she says, well, this is going to happen. I say, yeah, well, you know what, you can do hard things, you know, because we can, we just have to have the motivation. And um, kind of the backing and the solid, your solid feet on the ground to know, like, I can do this. And you know what? It's not going to be easy because anything worth doing never was. And so I, I really like to kind of replay that in my mind. I can do hard things. Um, another thing that she says in this book that just hit home so hard was, um, if you could imagine the truest, most beautiful life for yourself, what would it look like? And mm -hmm. so I, I sit there, okay, what, I have one life. It's one precious little life that's only going to be so long. How can I be most true to myself during this life? And what is the most beautiful version of this life that I could have? And I really try to live that. I, I do. I want to do things that are important to me. I want to be a good person. I want to teach my daughter how to be a good person. I want to play a role in society to, to help. And so whenever I'm kind of thinking about my future or making career decisions like this, it's how can I be my truest, most beautiful self? Thank you, Glennon. I will never forget it. <laughs> well, that's great. That's wonderful advice because I, I think a lot of times people tend to just let life happen to them and they think that they don't really have a say almost. But it, But if you are conscious about what you want and you can kind of choose the life that you want to live as opposed to allow the life to choose what it what it's just going to be, then I think that's a pretty strong 
yeah. uh, way to live. Yeah. Well, and that's what it's all about. That's, that's exactly what she's saying is you choose it. And she even talks about like writing your plans in the sand. So when they no longer work for you, you swipe them away and you rewrite it again because we're always evolving as people and growing and learning new things. Um, yeah, if, if anyone gets a chance to read that book, it, it's life changing. It's so amazing. I just Googled it and I saw the, the I think my partner might have given that book to her mom for Christmas. Oh, I, I think I saw it on, on the pile of gifts. So that looks quite familiar. But Tell her to give it to seems, herself too if she hasn't read it. I think she's read it. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Question six. What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her right now? Yeah, I would. So, I mean, I have a little... A little bird's eye view on that because I have mm-hmm. a daughter who's six so she's oh, not quite wow. 10 but when I think about you know me around that age is um it would be enjoy being you mm. um I think so many people don't enjoy being themselves and they look at their own flaws and they think about you know I don't didn't act this way I'm not smart enough I don't look like this um and you lose joy in your life and the and kind of wanting to be everything but yourself. And so if you can learn to love yourself and enjoy yourself as you are flawed, you know, I have a shirt that says perfectly imperfect. <laughs> and so just to kind of realize that you're your own special little person and you're going to be flawed and there's going to be things that suck and that you don't like about yourself. But if you can try to enjoy being you, your life is just going to you know, flourish and be so much more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Focus on the things you love. Focus on the things you love to do instead of the things you're not good at. Or, you know, like we tend to just d- dwell on the negative so much, but just focus on the things you enjoy doing and, and, and yeah, life 100%. will be much better. How is, if you, to veer off a little bit, how is your daughter handling COVID in the school? Like, is she in school or what, what's that been like? Yeah, she's in school and um, they have everything set up with like plexiglass. And so they're all kind of in their own little areas. Yeah, I... I'm proud of her school. I feel like they've done a really good job. And I mean, the teachers and the principals and the teacher's assistants, holy smack. I mean, going through all of this themselves as people and then dealing with all of these little people and the <laughs> restrictions and they, and they, here's the word again, pivoting. They're constantly pivoting to make sure that they're doing what's supposed to happen. And, and I'm just so impressed. And she has really, um, I mean, just evolved with the process and kind of like she's written nothing in the sand. She's open to going and learning and having social interaction with her friends, even though it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we can really do right now. And I hope for the future that, you know, we can get back to whatever our new normal looks yeah. like with a little more, you know, socialization and whatnot. But I think for being six, I mean, we could sure learn something from from them who, you know, take are very graceful about how we're moving through this. Yeah, it's. I've been thinking about that so much. Like kids who are going through their own, like high school and and you know middle school and kindergarten is hard enough in regular times. Never mind having to go through a global pandemic. So that's wild. All right. Well, thank you, Jessica. That we have one more question for you. It's usually the hardest one. Uh, question seven is: What do you want to be remembered for? <laughs> that's big. Um... I, I think I, I think they kind of asked me this a little bit during my interview for mm. this position. Um, 
And I find that it always comes to play like in my career when I'm choosing what jobs to do and what direction to take. Um, I always find myself back in nonprofit and in philanthropy. I really want people to, I really want people to remember that, first of all, that I cared, um, that I saw them, that I heard them, um, that I respected them. With my new role, I really hope that, you know, it, I can be successful for years to come in changing the face of what being an animal in Manitoba and maybe far farther reaching worldwide looks like. Um, I want all animals to feel protected. I want to support their welfare and dignity. I want to make sure all animals are treated humanely. I, I think that if I if I was on my deathbed and anyone could remember anything about me, it would be like she cared and she helped me, whether I had fur or if I had skin, um, you know, that the people that I was around, uh, that I respected them and I made some sort of difference in their life, whether it was just smiling or working with them and that the animals' lives were better because of the work that I put in. Beautifully said, Jessica Miller. I could not think of a better person to be at the helm of the Humane Society. Uh, congratulations on your appointment. Good luck in the future. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, is there any where where can people find out more about the Humane Society and maybe getting involved or volunteering or, or just helping out with the cause? Yeah, so the, the Humane Society is really active online um, on their website, which is WinnipegHumaneSociety.ca. Also on all social media platforms. Um, you can find them on Instagram, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. They're very, very active. And so if you want to be a volunteer, if you want to see what kind of children's programming there are, if you want to adopt an animal, you can uh, go in. We're actually taking appointments. Um, uh, sorry, you can. we're actually only taking appointments only right now. So you can't just walk into the shelter to try to be as safe as possible with social distancing. So you can make an appointment, come in, find your furry friend. Um, even like the educational resources that we have online, you can learn a ton about animals, all different kinds of animals and what they mean to us. And so, beautiful. Yeah, Jessica Miller, incoming CEO of the Winnipeg Humane Society. Thank you for being on the, thank you for being on the podcast. Good luck in the future. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you again to Jessica Miller for the wonderful conversation today. It was great to reconnect with her, and I'm really excited to see her at the helm of the WHS. Uh, it could not be a better fit for both her and the organization. Uh, really excited to see what she gets done in that new role. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, whatever platform you happen to be listening on, hit that subscribe button. It helps us out greatly, and uh, thank you to everyone who's subscribed so far. If you're looking for more great stories about people making the world a better place, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can check out Because Radio. It's also from the Winnipeg Foundation. Sonny and Rob talk about stories every Thursday at noon on 93.7 CJNU in Winnipeg. Or you can go to becauseradio.org. That's becauseradio.org. All music on our show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music at trentonburton.com. Because in Effect is a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. To learn more about the foundation, visit WPGFDN.org or search at WPGFDN on all social media platforms. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on social media. Thanks again for listening. And remember, an animal's eyes have the power to speak a great language. Bye-bye. <laughs>